0: Hello, this is Evan Brand. Thanks for joining me. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner and nutritional therapist operating worldwide via phone, Skype, FaceTime, Google Duo, whatever the heck I need to do to see your pretty face to help you, that's what I do. We're going to jump into a podcast here in a minute with my friend Dr. Justin as we talk about nootropics. I don't know if you know this, but I was actually a published author On a book about nootropics called the everything guide to nootropics you can get it on Amazon you could get it at any bookstore it's nationwide in the US so you can go in your local bookstore and you can find it it's in the health section and that was basically my project to help explain what are all the different brain chemicals what herbs affect and modify brain chemicals and then how can you safely design a protocol to help improve your brain function Now I pressed the record button a few seconds late, so what Justin was saying in the very beginning of this episode is that there's a huge link between the gut health and the brain health. And so before you go and buy my book or buy a bunch of brain supplements, I sell and manufacture one called Neurosynergy. That's my bestseller. It's an herbal nootropic. It's designed to be an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. I think I talked about that in this podcast, maybe I didn't, but acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter important for memory. And as we age and as we stress, which sounds like, yes, of course, that's everyone, you break down your acetylcholine faster than you're supposed to, and then you develop memory and learning problems. Now when you add in herbs like huperzine, which comes from club moss, one of the primary ingredients in my neurosynergy formula, then what we see is that we can prevent the breakdown, we can slow the breakdown of acetylcholinesterase which is the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine therefore memory gets better learning gets better the words come off of your tongue better maybe you can tell i have those nutrients in my system right now because i do and my brain works better And I I like to add mushrooms on top of it. So I may do some reishi, some lion's mane, some other things to help the brain work even better to increase the blood flow in the brain. Very important when we're talking about preventing Alzheimer's, preventing dementia. We know that the buildup of the amyloid beta plaque is a big issue. And so we can use these nutrients to reduce that plaque. And this has been clinically proven. So you can check out the Neurosynergy, like I said, if you just want a quick fix, something that I've designed that is a good one two three punch for the brain helps acetylcholine helps blood flow we've also got venpocetine in there just go on my store it's aura roots a-u-r-a roots AuraRoots.com. roots.com it's called neurosynergy this is not just it's not a special promotion i just i sell this to my clients every single day i just never thought to mention it on the podcast so feel free to check it out a lot of times i stack that with my other formula called calm clarity it's got a purple label on it, just like Neurosynergy. And Calm Clarity is a magnesium three eight that we use. We use that a lot for phobias, ADD, ADHD, anxiety, people that have sleep issues. Magnesium three eight is unique in the fact that it crosses the blood-brain barrier. Now, magnesium oxide, magnesium hydroxide, very good for your gut, very good for helping to go poop. Magnesium glycinate can be very helpful for muscle cramps, relaxation, restoring intracellular levels. Transdermal magnesium, another method of getting magnesium in. Magnesium three and eight is the only form that does cross the blood brain barrier. So when you deliver magnesium to the brain, you can actually reduce the fear response. And the amygdala, which is in the center of your brain, that's what determines whether things should scare you. That's the fight or flight mechanism, so to speak. It's the amygdala that processes whether something is a threat. With magnesium three and eight, you can calm down that response. So this is why it's so critical for anyone that's been in the military any of my clients who've gone through traumas, which is most of them, magnesium 3 and eight's is a good choice. And you stack it with Neurosynergy. So that's the spark notes of what I'm doing behind the scenes with the clinic. Stay tuned on my course. A lot of you all are emailing me and begging me, Evan, hurry up. Hurry up with your course. Look, I promise it's coming. I'll be announcing it very soon, as soon as it's ready for purchase. And I'm going to be opening it up to maybe 50, maybe 75, maybe 100 students and you're going to know exactly what you want to do in terms of lab testing, how to design protocols, the ins and outs of everything behind the scenes I'm doing from a clinical perspective. That's going to be in your hands. So you can run your own labs, you can run it on your family, you can create your protocols, or you can just use my protocols that I provide and teach you on. So that's the course coming soon. Stay tuned. Thanks for your support and encouragement. Let's get into the podcast on your brain. Enjoy. Oh, I'm supposed to tell you, if you need help, reach out. My website, evanbrand.com. I've got Megan on staff. I've been training her for the last couple of years on all of my protocols. She's also certified in functional medicine. If you can't get into me as soon as you need to, you can get into Megan. All the follow-up consults are with me when we actually review your labs and make a game plan. So you can check all that out, learn more at my site,
1: evanbrand.com. Okay, now we're ready. Actually help our gut, the more we're gonna help our brain, and the second thing is actually decreasing dysbiotic bacteria. Dysbiotic bacteria has a compound called LPS, lipopolysaccharide or another term for it's actually called endotoxin and that can make its way through the gut into the bloodstream to the brain and can create mood issues and cognitive issues as well. So getting the inflammation in the gut getting the stress out of the diet uh, is going to be huge for cognitive health
0: yeah and i'm going to take what you said just a step further cuz people may have said they may have heard oh whoa dysbiosis lps brain what what's going on here so basically what justin's saying is there's various infections you can pick up from the soil, the food, the water, the air, your partner, your spouse, your kids, you can pass bugs between each other. Justin and I have tested literally countless thousands and thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of stool and urine tests. And what we find is that these gram negative bacteria produce the LPS. So if you have bacterial overgrowth, whether you call it SIBO, whether you call it dysbiosis, whether you call it IBS from your gastro doc that Mm -hmm. told you you have that it doesn't matter what the term is it matters if there's bugs in the gut Your brain will not function well And so when we talk about the topic of nootropics, which I was actually hired by a publishing company to write a book on this topic Which was kind of cool The thing is you can't go straight to the brain pills or the smart pills or the, the smart drugs You can't go straight to that if you just haven't addressed the gut and you haven't addressed the diet like you see some dude you know, drinking a five hour energy and he's eating like a gluten free cupcake, but he wants to improve his brain function. It's like, you know, smart drugs and nootropics. This is like a a level 301 course, like 101 brain health is the stuff you just mentioned, the gut, the diet, etc. And then you graduate your way up. But in society, we like the quick fix. So we go straight to just buying these pills, which I don't know, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying you can spend more money on food first and get your gut fixed, then go to supplements.
1: Absolutely. So first thing is get the food right. um, Get the gut right. In the gut, what I mean by saying get get the gut right, there could be SIBO, there could be infections, there could be some leaky gut caused by the above, by the food, by the gut, by the low stomach acid and enzymes, by the dysbiosis, by the H. pylori fungus, yeast, parasites. So get that in order first. That's the low-hanging fruit. And again, that's the non-sexy stuff on the cognitive nootropic side because if you look at any blogs or professionals that talk about brain health. A lot of times, we are not talking about the gut when they're connecting the brain. Now, Dr. Perlmutter's done a book recently called I Think the Brain Maker, where he talks about like probiotics and these things. I don't think. A lot is addressed on infections. I think a lot's addressed on like good bacteria and the bacterial imbalances, but not a lot is talked about infection. So that's an important component. So once we have that right, then we can work on, you know, other nutrients to dial things in. So, a low-hanging fruit for brain health is B vitamins. Now first off, are you low in B vitamins or do you need more B vitamins cuz you're in stress? Do you need more B vitamins because you're not making your internal B vitamins because of dysbiosis? And or you're not absorbing it well, so you got to figure out why you need them. Explain so, of that. Course, Explain that real yeah. quick.
0: That's pretty mind blowing concept for people. You mentioned manufacturing B vitamins in your gut, and that being impaired yeah. due to dysbiosis.
1: Yeah. So healthy, good bacteria actually eat your poop, or actually, um, you know, eats. Let's just say this: they eat your poop and they poop nutrition back. Bad bacteria, bad bacteria, eat your, nutri- your nutrients and then poops poop back. So good bacteria takes t- not-so-nice stuff and makes nutrition out of it. Bad bacteria eat your- your good stuff, your- your- your vitamins and minerals and actually produces more toxins on the flip side like LPS or various things like that that also can disrupt your motility as well. So good bacteria will actually improve vitamin K in- uh, exogenous production, it'll also improve B vitamin production as well. So, that's really important. So, if you can tolerate and you can consume healthy fermentable, uh, vegetables, uh, probiotic rich foods, that's great. If you can't tolerate it, it probably tells me there's some SIBO or some bacterial overgrowth that also needs to be addressed. But on that note, the next component is, you know, adding some supplemental B vitamins can be very, very helpful. So, you know, I have– um— a mitochondrial support that I take that has a lot of B vitamins in it. I'll even take some supplemental amino acids with B vitamins in it as well. I think B vitamins are a great low-hanging fruit. And again, this is a concept I hear all the time. People say, hey, I take B vitamins and I notice my urine gets really yellow. You know, I'm just peeing it all out. Well, number one, you're really only gonna be able to pee out water-soluble nutrients. So you're only— only gonna be able to pee out, you know, your— your B vitamins, so to speak. All right? Maybe vitamin C, too much vitamin C will cause loose stools, so if you're taking too much vitamin C, you'll know it because you'll start getting loose stools. But with B vitamins, I want to be peeing my B vitamins out. If I'm not peeing my B vitamins out, I'm not reaching saturation, Mm. right? So it– let's say this is the amount of– of B vitamins my body needs. Let's say I take this much, right? I consume this much, right? So the spread that I'm gonna be peeing out will be this much. I don't pee everything out, I'm just gonna be peeing out the spread. Right, makes and sense. And the thing is, you don't know. You don't know how much you actually need on a given day. So I'm fine, supplementally taking maybe a little bit on the excess side, and then letting my body deal with it. It's not like it's a big stressor. Um, whereas a fat soluble vitamin, and it's harder to excrete. It's a water soluble vitamin, and we're taking them in really good forms. You know, P5P activated you know, um, methylated B vitamins, so they're, they're really good, you know, we're not gonna take any folic acid, we're gonna take activated folate. So I'm taking a, you know, a reasonable amount of a high-quality activated B vitamin supplement I think is a great low-hanging fruit.
0: Yeah, here's the thing that's kind of annoying with the whole methylation conversation is people come up with their MTHFR genetic defect and they walk around with it like it's some type of label, like I'm MTHFR, oh my god. And they act like the protocol has to be so different, Justin and I basically treat every everyone is if they have methylation issues all that means is we're going to use higher quality nutrients we're not going to use a folic acid we're going to use the activated folate maybe you need a little bit higher amount but so many people get a diagnosis or they look at their gene and they see one snip off and then like oh my god can you work with me I have MTHFR like it's going to change much how much percent do you think it really changes in the whole equation?
1: Um it doesn't change that much I mean a lot of the things that we're doing kind of already are built in and around that, right? So of course, a lot of the synthetic folic acid, we're making sure any supplements not gonna contain that, right? Or it's not gonna contain junky B vitamins that you may see in like a 5-hour energy drink. Number two, we're cutting out fortified foods that are gonna have folic acid in it. Things like orange juice, things like your grains, right? These are the big fortified folic acid foods. Again, the government found out a long time ago that, hey, you know, folic acid's gonna prevent like these neural tube birth defects. Um, the problem is, you still have a, a large percent of the population that can, they still cannot activate that folic acid and can convert it into, you know, folinic acid to LMTH, LMTHF folate, and some can actually create some of these dangerous cancer-like metabolites. So we want to make sure we eat like good quality animal um, foods that are going to have good folate in there. Lots of good green leafy vegetables potentially egg yolks, these things that are really high in choline as well. So we're gonna be getting all of our really good folate and then we would supplement with additional high-quality activated folate, activated B vitamins. If someone has MTHFR, we may look at supplementing, separating the folate and the B vitamins out from the actual B vitamin complex and we may do various other forms of B12 like adenosyl or hydroxy B12 typically sublingually to help bypass the gut as well. But there's three major rabbit holes in functional medicine. MTHFR is one, the other one is Lyme, and the third one is mycotoxins. And the reason why is because any symptom can be tossed in the basket of those three conditions. So if you have any condition, any symptom at all, someone could point you to one of those three areas. Yes. And okay. my thing is there's a rabbit hole for those areas and in If you focus on one of those three, you may be missing the simple low-hanging fruit underneath, you know, where we should be starting first. So I look at and say, okay, maybe we go down those avenues, but we're gonna deal with diet, lifestyle, digestion, we're gonna look at your hormones, we're gonna look at your gut, we're gonna look at toxicity, we're gonna make sure you're infection-free, we're gonna make simple changes, we're gonna kind of write off all the foundational stuff and then we may look at doing testing down below to look deeper if we're not seeing resolution. But I can't tell you how many patients I see that are complaining of MTHFR or Lyme or mycotoxin or mold issues and they have multiple gut infections, their diets suck, they're not digesting their food, they don't have good absorption of their nutrition, they're not sleeping well, they have significant nutrient deficiencies, very poor neurotransmitter function and they're sitting worried about these little rat holes. That you know you can go down, not saying those little rat holes or rabbit holes in functional medicine aren't legitimate. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they need to be looked at later on. They're not the low hanging fruit, and because any symptom you have could be put in one of those three categories, it's really easy to be jumped on that track.
0: Yes. Well, and, and it sounds rid- sexy too. And uh, one yes. of our mutual friends and colleagues, Jay Davidson, uh, he's a chiropractor who fun- focuses a lot on Lyme. He actually turned the corner and he used to just do Lyme, Lyme, Lime, Lime, Lyme. Lime, lime. Everything he saw was Lyme. Yes, and all these everything. protocols he did were all Lyme protocols. So you know what? Last time we talked and I interviewed him for my summit, he goes, Evan, he goes, You've been doing it right all along. And I was like, What are you talking about? And he goes, Well, treating Lyme disease, I used to go straight after Lyme. He goes, I don't do that anymore. I go after the parasites because it turns out if you just get rid of parasites and bacterial infections and you treat those, the Lyme disappears with it. He said, "So here I was doing all these Buner protocols and these other protocols for Lyme, but I should have just went after parasites and bacteria. And now his success rate is even higher. So that just makes me happy."
1: Yeah, and also a lot of the herbs we may use to go after some of the gut stuff will have some anti-lime effects as well. So cat's claw is a big, you know, anti-lime one, but it's also really good for biofilms. Higher dose berberine and golden seals also helpful for Lyme. Silver is also a really good biofilm buster. It's also helpful for Lyme. So there's a lot of you know a lot of the um, adrenal supports like Eleuthero and ashwagandha which are really good for the adrenals also helpful for Lyme. so a good functional medicine practitioner you know they're going to create a protocol that has a pretty good net where it's targeted but you know other things that we're not going after specifically may still get helped underneath that umbrella
0: i love saying that i love saying like hey we're going to kill things that might not even show up on a test for example like maybe we got a false negative of a parasite but we did this protocol to kill the bacteria but the herbs to kill the bacteria also have anti-parasitic benefit so maybe we got rid of something that you didn't even know was there that was affecting you so that's the fun thing now let's go back to the topic of the brain you mentioned a few things you mentioned the cat's claw cat's claw can be considered something that can help the brain you mentioned ashwagandha you mentioned adaptogenic herbs you and i love adaptogens We know that whether we're talking holy basil or rhodiola or American ginseng or you've got like Korean ginseng, there's many, many ginsengs, these all help in terms of modulating cortisol and that screws up your brain. If you've got levels of cortisol that are too high or too low, it kind of mimics the same thing and this is why you don't want to guess because... You know, we've seen people where they, they're exhausted and we think, Oh my God, this person must have low cortisol, but then you test it and it's actually high all day and we're thinking, Oh, good thing we didn't throw this person on a bunch of licorice because their cortisol was already so sky high. Right. But, well, but so go ahead. I was just gonna say, but if they read online adrenal fatigue, licorice, I mean it's almost like a is it I mean, it's almost like a gut reaction. It's like adrenal fatigue, licorice. But if you don't exactly. know that there's a caveat to that you could mess yourself up.
1: Yeah, it's nice to know your pattern, especially if there's reverse cortisol patterns. That's helpful because there are certain compounds we may give when cortisol is higher versus lower. So it's nice to know that so we can be specific. And also, just to kind of highlight, higher levels of cortisol can actually atrophy the areas of the hippocampus. And these are areas that are profoundly important for learning and memory. So, someone talks about stress and adrenal dysfunction. Can that affect, you know, can I, you know, by supporting that improve my IQ? I would say, yeah. Dave Asprey's done some testing on himself, uh, where he's found his IQ's gone up 10 to 20 points by just improving, you know, inflammation and brain health. So I would say, yeah, if your brain's inflamed, huge. I know in Uh, college, it would take me very long time to finish tests because I would have to like double and triple check all my questions. And I was still eating some things back then you know, 15 years ago that was causing my brain to be more inflamed and I was having insecurity in, in my cognitive re– you know, processes. I would just double and triple checking and just not feeling confident and just being slower in my mental processes and I noticed that as I tweaked my diet and got inflammation down and supported some of these brain nutrients, I was able to whiz through questions faster and–, and be accurate but also more– more more Let's just say succinct and faster going through these tests.
0: Yeah, I'm always impressed with your brain. Like your brain, I I don't think I've ever chatted with you where your brain wasn't working properly. Like you're always able to articulate well. You're always able to like zoom in and zoom out. I've always like looked up to you for that. It's super cool to see somebody that has a good functioning brain because in society we have so many
1: people's brains that don't work like yours. Well, I appreciate it. And I think number one for everyone listening, get the inflammation down. That's number one. Make sure your food's nutrient dense. Choline, um, you know, lots of green vegetables that have a lot of good B vitamins and folate in there. A lot of your good essential fatty acids. That's really important. And then from there, you know, play around with some of the other compounds that can be helpful. So, for instance, medicinal mushrooms, I think, are great. I mean, right now, I I do reishi and I'm doing my um I do reishi. Is it maitake? Yeah, shiitake. Yeah. So I'm doing I'm doing shiitake and reishi every day. So I'm doing four to six caps Mm -hmm. right now, just because it's getting a little bit colder. I'm around sick kids sometimes, you know, so I'm just keeping my immune system pretty strong. And then I'm at a pretty good high dose of ashwagandha, and then I bump up additional B vitamins on top of that. Now you can keep it simple. For me and for my job, I'm constantly having to program—I mean, you you know, like, run through mental programs and thinking and troubleshooting, I want that high level of cognitive stuff. So, you got to figure out where you're at, how stressful your life is on a cognitive side and then you can kind of dose it, things in um you know more steadily if your if your job isn't that stressful then maybe just a good diet and just a, a few supplements is, is fine if you're a programmer or you're constantly problem solving then maybe you need more nutrients for the brain
0: i would even argue you could add in like some lion's mane too i've been having yeah. really good experiments i've been running yeah. with like a mixture of the lion's mane the reishi mataki shiitake and then a little bit of ginkgo kind of a bonus just for the blood flow aspect because we know that you can help increase the blood flow in the brain with ginkgo and we also use a lot of bacopa uh you and i've used a vinpocetine before which comes from yeah. i think it's the periwinkle plant vinpocetine is a really good yeah. one and then i've got a couple formulas with like wild blueberry complex in there that's really good and then there's also uh i don't know if we mentioned huperzine which comes from the club yeah. moss huperzine is a good acetylcholinesterase inhibitor so yeah People talk about dopamine and serotonin, but I think just as much as GABA, acetylcholine is like a forgotten neurotransmitter and people don't talk about it, but they should yeah. because if it breaks down too fast, your memory won't be as good. And if you take Hooperzine, you can keep the acetylcholine in the brain longer, theoretically improving learning, learning and memory.
1: What other ways can we increase acetylcholine outside of taking it, outside of the huperzines the or the, um, the other types of compounds you mentioned?
0: I would say focus on the diet piece too, right? Like you could, you could, you could obviously supplement with like alpha GPC, like the glycerophosphocholine. But as you mentioned, I think earlier about eggs. You know, focusing on eggs is a good source of choline. I want to say seafood. Don't quote me on it, but
1: I want to say seafood is pretty high in choline as well. Yeah. So your fatty fish, uh, your egg yolks, uh, your liver, um, avocado. Those are going to be your best things for. Acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is really, really important. Again, you have autoimmune conditions like Myasthenia Gravis where you have an autoimmune condition to the postsynaptic acetylcholine neuron. And then you can get this kind of like droopy eyes, droopy face kind of stuff. So acetylcholine is really important. And again, a lot of that's gonna be your meat-rich products. And again, um, there's been research on acetylcholine, right, 800 milligrams a day is ideal and they find that pregnant women who don't get enough acetylcholine, there's epigenetics that increase that can create increased cortisol and increased stress response in these kiddos born in a choline, acetylcholine uh- poor environment. So that's a Ah. really, really important cognitive function. And when you deal with MTHFR issues, making sure there's adequate choline in the diet is very important. Also building blocks for bile, like really having enough biliary support because bile is really important for keeping SIBO at bay, right? Bile salts or bile acids, the acids produced when, you know, the acidic environment produced when bile is stimulated and secreted from the gallbladder can really prevent a lot of SIBO overgrowth. That's why with SIBO, there's a common environment that allows SIBO to form is typically an enzyme low, hydrochloric acid low low bile salt environment really is a driving factor for letting SIBO grow and of course we know the nutrient deficiencies that can happen with SIBO and then we can easily draw that back up to the brain cuz a lot of these vitamins and minerals are responsible for cognitive function benefits.
0: Yeah, well we know there's a link to the thyroid too. You know, if you're hypo, you're under functioning with your thyroid, that can affect your brain. Also, I've seen some stuff about just you could just look at the link between hypothyroidism and say gallbladder issues, for example, gallstones occurring in a more hypothyroid environment. So if your thyroid's not working properly, let's say you have antibodies going on, and those antibodies could always be rooted back in something from diet or gut, but you know, get, getting some blood work could be helpful in this, too, if you're trying to figure out, hey, what other things have I done? I've— I've worked on my gut, I've worked on my liver, brain's still not working. Would you agree thyroid would be a good potential other step in this?
1: Well, anything— if there's a, a hormone imbalance that's gonna affect energy, typically when energy is low, uh, focus and cognitive will be low. It's very rare that someone is tired but has good brain function, meaning memory, retention, you know verbal fluency, right? They're typically connected. So you need a baseline of energy for your brain to be functioning well. So if there's low thyroid or low adrenal, that definitely needs to be addressed. Now, there's other herbs we can use, but Copa is another big one that helps modulate a lot of our dopamine in serotonin neurotransmitters. We know dopamine's really important for focus, right? Uh, it's also can be burnt up, it can be converted downstream to adrenaline. So if it's adrenal stress, you can burn up dopamine and convert it to adrenaline. Dopamine is also needed for TRH release in the hypothalamus. TRH is the thyroid releasing hormone. It goes from the hypothalamus to the pituitary. The pituitary then makes TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, which then talks to our thyroid to make T4. A little bit of T3, and that T4 gets converted peripherally and at the at the thyroid receptor site uh, spot as well.
0: Trying to think of any other things I haven't mentioned from a from a supplement perspective. Did you mention well, the amino omegas?
1: Acids, the the amino acids I think are really important just because of the fact that they are precursors to all that I just mentioned. Like you just were alluding to omega threes, great because one um, DHEA is a really important neurological building block. The EPA fat is really anti-inflammatory. So if we have inflammation or cognitive inflammation going on, EPA can be really anti-inflammatory as well. You said um, DHEA, talked, but you meant DHA. No, yeah, DHA, d- d- um hexanoic acid. That's the twenty-two fatty, uh, the twenty-two fatty acid kind of compound. EPA's uh, ecosa acid. That's a twenty-carbon fatty acid compound. And then we have the um, linole- lino, yeah, linolenic acid. That's like the flax omega three. That's an eighteen-carbon. So we go from eighteen to twenty to twenty-two, and the higher up you go, um, the better. Yeah,
0: we super important for kids, you know. We got a lot of parents listening. We have a lot of a lot of parents that bring kids to us and a lot of developmental, a lot of uh, I guess I would call it cognitive performance issues at school. Got to make sure the kids are getting enough omegas because if these kids aren't doing like grass-fed steaks, I mean, you look at the standard American diet for a child. I mean, it's like chicken nuggets and macaroni. I mean, these oh, kids are dark. getting, they're getting no DHA. Their brains are just not supported. So, you know, oh, here's, yeah. and then of course, what does the doctor do? They put the kid on like Vivant or Ritalin or some other pharmaceutical drug to try to fix the kid's behavioral issues. I mean, yeah. just and It's pharmaceutical I, speed. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, yeah. you've, you and I have seen so many cases of kids where like, I just actually saw a kid this morning, uh, a little girl, she's 11 years old, she showed up with H. pylori, she had four different parasites, like six or seven different bacterial overgrowth, she had candida overgrowth as well, and the mom's like, well, where did all this come from? You know, of course, we ask about antibiotic history and all that, but the kid can't focus in school, the poops aren't good, I mean, the behavior's not good, they're moody, it's like, man, if we could just get every kid in the world, get their gut in shape, the the world would be a better place. I mean, these things don't discriminate. It don't matter if you're 2 years old or 200 years old, you could still have yep. bugs.
1: Exactly. Now, other compounds that are great, ginseng's excellent, that kind of falls in the adaptogenic category. I'd also put ashwagandha and rhodiola in that category as well. Right? I mean, they're going to help modulate stress hormones. Um— some of them have various glycoalkaloids in there that can be immune-modulating and can also be a little bit stimulating or adrenal-modulating as well. So stimulating where they can bump up cortisol if it's low, but if cortisol goes too high on some, it can have a modulating effect as well, which is— which is nice. And if you look at some of the herbs like ashwagandha, which is one of my favorites, it's you know, look at herbalists like Steven Buhner, you know, he kind of gives it the thumbs up as a- is a long-term herbal approach and it has some really good immunomodulating qualities that people with Lyme can really benefit or Lyme co-infections can really benefit from. So we like that as well. And then you have your, um, blood flow stimulating compounds like Ginkgo is really good, um, what else outside of Ginkgo? I mean, you can do systemic-based enzymes to help thin out the blood which can be really helpful for allowing to improve blood flow. Uh, go-to-cola is really good, like I mentioned, yeah. uh, on top of that, and then of course for inflammation like the, uh, the- the- these, um, alpha GPC, these various choline compounds can be really anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. to the brain, and then things like resveratrol can be excellent. I went to a conference where, um, a coach was interviewed for one mm-hmm. of the ma- major like, um, football university, I think it was Oregon, or Oregon State, and he talked about that a lot of the, um- college players now are getting like diluted grape juice or– or diluted like– like juice grapes after practice because they found that the resveratrol and some of the modulating compounds in there can help with brain inflammation. So they're starting to wise up to this stuff at the higher collegiate levels where brain trauma is happening. I mean, I would– I would supplement that as well. I mean, these guys are more active, so if there's any extra sugar in there, it's probably not a bad thing. but. Most people may do better with just the extract without all the extra sugar along with I it. I would agree,
0: yeah, and it's uh, probably more pure in extract form versus like some yep. conventional glyphosate sprayed grapes. You mentioned the fish oil. I mean, exactly. We could we could technically probably say that fish oil would be something for the blood flow because it is thinning yep. the blood a little bit. It
1: is thinning the blood, and then your other anti inflammatories like curcumin as well. I think are also very helpful because they help reduce inflammation and they can have some immune modulating quality. So I like that. I mean, if you can reduce inflammation, that's gonna have a cognitive benefit. If you can reduce inflammation in the brain like some of these, um, choline compounds and or resveratrol, um, curcumin compounds, that can also be excellent as well. Anything else you wanna highlight there?
0: Yeah. I would say CBD, cannabidiol, I use it almost every day, I've given it to, to a lot of my clients benefits yeah Yeah, tons of good benefits kind of balancing out your cb1 cb2 uh receptor sites that you have everywhere in the body now some people you know if we're talking like from a pain perspective cbd alone doesn't help that much with the pain they may need a little bit of thc but you've got to be in a state where you can access the thc there's like 30 different states in the u.s with either medical or recreational all of our canada listeners they just legalize cannabis completely So the doors are wide open now for people to get it. And, you know, it may only take a small amount, like a 20 to one CBD to THC ratio to really help with pain, inflammation in the brain. I've had some people who they just get miraculous results. Now, it's not a root cause, right? Like it's not a deficiency of CBD oil. Some may argue there is such thing as an endocannabinoid deficiency. Like we know cannabinoids are naturally in breast milk. So we could argue that we're built to have these. But I still think the other root causes you gotta hit those first, you know. If this helps you, great, but make sure you still like fix your gut. I could have taken all the C B D in the world, but I still had IBS because I had gut issues.
1: Yeah, and what about beta endorphin? How is beta endorphin connected with C B D? Because beta endorphin is kind of our natural anti pain antidepressant, right?
0: I don't know if C B D modulates it. Like when I think of beta endorphin being modulated, I think of more like Kratom. But I don't know if C B D can can affect that. I I, I won't say it does because I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. So I'm looking here uh, right now it says THC has been shown to stimulate beta endorphin production. And I imagine CBD may as well. So I'm looking at a couple of articles right here.
0: Or maybe C B D yeah, Maybe.
1: cannabidiol delivered oral by triggering the release of beta endorphin. Yes. Oh cool. So there's articles. There's articles on this that CBD and THC. Now, the problem with THC is, you know, you're gonna have some cognitive stuff, i um, I'm not a fan of using any THC before someone's at least 25 years old. Because there's an article that came out last week where it can stunt brain development. So a male's not gonna have their brain fully formed till about 25. A woman is more 18 to 20. So I'd be very careful on using THC. With someone b- beneath the age of twenty-five, C B D is not going to have the same quite effect. But if you look here, there is some research showing that CBD can stimulate beta endorphin, which is good. Now here's the thing: what is beta endorphin made of? Right? That's the next question. Uh beta endorphin is actually made of nineteen different amino acids. Ah. People like Julie Ross have had really good benefits using DLPA. I love DLPA. Uh, DL phenylalanine, which is a it's a kind of isomer of phenylalanine, which is a precursor to tyrosine, but goes more down the beta endorphin pathway. Yeah, I'm looking here. The C B two the C B two receptor agonist can invoke the trigger of release of beta endorphins. So that's the cannabidiol. Uh, compound, So I think you're seeing this increase in beta-endorphin, which is a natural anti-pain antidepressant compound. We get beta-endorphin, the runner's high, right? That's beta-endorphin, that workout high. That's beta-endorphin. Remember, that molecule is 19 amino acids long, so we need protein to make it. So DLPA and or just good free-form amino acids are gonna be important. Good protein absorption, good digestion, and the CBD potentially could help improve that stimulation. But again, i very—when I hear the word stimulate, I'm very careful because Stimulate what? So there's a building, it comes from something, right? So we want to make sure the building blocks to make it are also present as well. I hear stimulate, I think whipping a tired horse, right? Yes. Got to be careful. Yeah, you
0: make a good point. Always going to the root. The amino acids are great. Mm-hmm. Julia Ross yes. is a huge.
1: Doing bold is probably better, right? Yeah.
0: I, I, I wonder if the THC, maybe it helps beta endorphin more. Because, like I said, some clients report as soon as they add in just a tiny amount, the pain relief is way better, so maybe CBD does it good, and maybe THC does it more. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean the big thing is with the THC, you have the the, the psychoactive components there. Um, you have a little bit of a decrease in memory and, and motivation, and then you have a little bit slower reaction time. So you have some things, and there's some research there to say, hey, you know, it can decrease cognitive development as well. So if you're going to use THC, don't use it till if you're a guy until your your late twenties. And if you need something therapeutic, try moving more towards the CBD end of the spectrum.
0: Yep. So there was a question here about is it okay to get resveratrol from red wine or does alcohol ruin the benefits? I mean, it is so ridiculously silly that you can do that from wine. I mean, that's like freaking marketing from the alcohol industry. There's a study I've got here from PubMed. They call it the analysis of resveratrol in wines, and they're looking at all these different types. For example, most of the red wines tested, they were getting 0.36. This is 0.36 milligrams per liter of wine. We're talking less than half of one milligram per, per liter of wine. I'm sure there's some that have higher, but that was like the average. They found that uh, white wines, they contained an average of 0.5 milligram. So a half of one milligram of resveratrol per liter. And right. when Justin and I use a resveratrol supplement, I mean, typically we're doing what? 500 milligrams, if not more.
1: Exactly. And again, I mean… When they do these studies, they're probably not testing organic wines and they're probably sure. not looking at the quality of the wine. So, Let's just say if you're— Like, like there are companies out there that are, are lab testing their wine and, and trying to make sure the, the quality's higher. So if it's organic and the alcohol content's lower— So I know, like, Dry Creek Wines, they do some lab testing where they choose lower alcohol content and it's organic. You probably may have more of those compounds in it. But I wouldn't say, hey, if you are going to have a glass or two, a wine every now and then, I don't think it's a big deal. Just choose higher quality ones, but I wouldn't— say to yourself, hey, this is gonna be the only place I'm gonna get this extra resveratrol. I would probably supplement as well on top of that.
0: Right. Like, let's say you were trying to do a lime protocol, and sometimes we'll use Japanese knotweed that actually contains the resveratrol, you know, we're looking at four to five hundred milligrams. Let's just say your wine was amazing and organic, maybe it's got ten milligrams of resveratrol per liter, and you're not gonna drink a liter of wine, at least I hope you're not in one sitting
1: yeah so i think you have a lot of foods that have just negative um toxins in there as as well and so you, that may negate some that may be a confounding variable that prevents you know let's just say better findings from happening so yep. i would just say make sure we just have the the quality aspect dialed in with the alcohol that you're consuming.
0: Yeah. Well, I know we've got to run. We're both uh, late for our clients, so we should probably. Oh, let's just hit
1: one last thing here. Okay. Let's just talk about the the pharmaceutical nootropics. So you, we have things like modafinil or Provigil, which really is used for like uh, narcolepsy or like just falling asleep during the day a lot. Uh, that can be helpful on the cognitive side, but it's a drug. There's some not so nice side effects, so you really got to be careful. Right? It can cause sore throats, headaches, vomiting, hallucinations, we gotta be careful with that. We have some of the- the compounds as well, which can fit into that GABA kind of receptor site in the brain. That can improve some cognitive stuff there, five- 400, 800 milligrams a day can be helpful, but again, there's some side effects. Um- it can interfere with blood thinning, it can cause insomnia, it can cause agitation, anxiety, so you gotta make sure you keep an eye on that. And then we have things like um, you know, the um, obviously the adderall, the stimulants, the the methamphetamines can be very stimulating and can also burn out your neurotransmitters, but acutely can be helpful, but not the, the best thing long term. Then we have things like phenibut, which also has a GABA like receptor quality. It's a two, three phenobutyric acid, similar to GABA can help kind of relax the brain a little bit, turn on those inhibition or turn– inhibit the brain, turn on the inhibition centers where it can relax and turn things off. But again, there's some addictive components there um– that can be a problem, withdrawal stuff, addiction-like stuff. So you gotta be careful with that. We much rather use things like L-theanine and GABA and valerian root and things that are more relaxing. then just use Fenibit off the bat. Evan, any comments there?
0: Yeah, I had friends addicted to Fenibit, so it definitely can be very dangerous if you do too much or too often. So yeah, it works great. I do carry it. I do use it on occasion with clients, but you just got to be careful. So I'm glad you mentioned the potential for it. And I do prefer, like you said, some of the other herbs instead.
1: It's interesting because I have seen a lot of information online saying it's not addictive but then you see also people saying it can be. What's your take on it? What oh, did you see in a lot of the research?
0: I don't care who says that it's not addictive. It's freaking addictive. M- my buddy who was addicted to it for a while, he was using about, you know, mm-hmm. a high dose of it, about a gram or two per day and if he ran out of it, he did not sleep. He had panic attacks, he had uncontrollable shaking. I mean, when you hit that GABA receptor that hard and then you pull out this phenol GABA, you do not feel well. Anxiety, panic attacks, heart palpitations, etc. A mutual friend of ours, Wendy Meyer, she's talked about using fenibit or phenol for sleep, but you don't want to be taking that every single night. I mean, you want to just have good sleep hygiene and go to bed and be able to sleep. You don't want to have to depend on something like that.
1: Yeah, and if you need, just try to use some more of the amino acids, L-theanine, or just GABA by itself first. Yes. Um, so that that's kind of your best first step. Anything else you want to add here, Evan?
0: I would just say, you know, test, don't guess. We talked about a lot of supplements. You could easily go on Amazon and buy a bunch of crap that you don't need. So we would prefer that you get yourself tested because you're not going to you're not gonna find that XYZ is the miracle silver bullet. You know, you've got to work on the full body system. And then once you've got a good foundation, then buy your supplements and make sure they're practitioner-grade because you can go to Whole Foods or, you know, go to Walgreens and you could buy fish oil. But I don't know if that's going to be good enough you know so we always want you to go quality over quantity.
1: Totally wise words my friend well today was a phenomenal podcast appreciate the back and forth. if you guys enjoyed it, give us a thumbs up.
0: All right Justin goes on to talk about sharing and liking and all that but you're listening on the podcast so you're not able to do that. however, if you check out our podcast on YouTube you can go to my channel. Just type in Evan Brand on YouTube. I've got about 10,000 of you guys subscribed on there, and I post whiteboard videos too. I'm actually posting one right this second in the background while I'm uploading this podcast here. It's all on gluten cross-reactivity and why some people struggle. Not some, a lot of people struggle. When they go on a gluten-free diet, they're still noticing food sensitivities. I also posted another video just a few days ago about food sensitivity explosion. That's the title of it. And all about why are people so reactive? Why is everyone allergic to everything? I've got some really, really good ideas and things that I've implemented to help reduce food sensitivities. And then, of course, I educate you on the gluten cross-reactivity piece. How do you mitigate that? How do you get away? What's the saying? How do you eat your cake and what is it? Get your cake and eat it too? I don't know. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. There's a funny saying like that. What is it? Now I'm going to rack my brain. Oh, well, somebody's yelling at me. Of what it is anyhow I'll let you go I look forward to talking with you again next week but make sure you're subscribed on the YouTube channel because the podcast is great right like it's one main avenue of learning but some people learn better from a visual perspective so check out my videos I try to condense a 45 to 1 hour conversation into 5 to 10 minutes on a YouTube video and then I usually have some type of on-screen uh, video or some type of animation or pictures or whatever I need to do to make the content more helpful so that's youtube.com. Type in Evan Brand. You'll find me. You know how to use YouTube. You're smart. All right. If you want to reach out, schedule a consult, you can. Website is evanbrand.com. You know that by now, but I'll tell you again just in case. I'll talk with you later. Bye bye.
1: Since you want to find someone new Gets your heart racing We're headed for the sunset of our love And we can't
0: turn back